Hi, my name's Ryan Perry. I'm the pastor at Seneca Baptist Church, and we are so thankful that you're joining us in this online resource. Our prayer for you is that this resource would not replace your active involvement in a local body of Christ, but would rather be supplemental to it. If you are interested in getting further connected to the ministry of Seneca Baptist Church or to giving financially, please visit our website, SenecaBaptist.org. Thank you and enjoy. We are so grateful for your word. And I know what faith he's going to preach on and just the idea of loving God with all of our heart. We've sung about that today. And we want to be challenged, Lord, to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength and to, to show us what that looks like practically. And so, Father, would you use KT today as a vessel, as uh, just a, one who will speak on your behalf to our people, and would you use them in great ways in my life? I woke this morning just thankful that I get to sit under teaching this morning and just be fed and... And uh, I know I'm thankful for that for our people. So, Lord, use him, hide him behind your cross for your glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said, would you guys give KT a welcome? Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. It is an honor to be here. I've been here several times and have listened in uh, on Ryan teaching as well. And he is a good buddy. So thank you for those kind words. Um, I am excited to share with you uh, a message that's really been something that I have been vested in in the past couple years. And it's this question that I've been pondering and wrestling with and trying to understand more deeply is this, what does it mean to love God? And where this question has stemmed from is when you may remember this story when Jesus was asked kind of a snarky question from one of the Pharisees. In Matthew 22, 36 through 38. And this is how that, that story goes. It says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Now, what I read to you is, for many of you, nothing new. You have heard this verse many times. You could quote it. But for me, over the last two years, I've really been trying to pursue, what does that mean to love God? And I want us to ponder and just sit for a moment on what we just read. Because we see it as a bumper sticker. We see it as a T-shirt. We see it as a platitude. To love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But just let's sit for a moment and understand who said this. The greatest of all said this. Jesus, the name above all names, the Lord above all lords, the king above all kings, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the greatest said that what I'm about to tell you, this command is the greatest, that you love God with all your heart. Now, there's a lot of things he could have said. And I think there's a lot of times when we fill in the blank or change what he said, because he could have said evangelism is the greatest thing. That's the greatest commandment. He could have said discipleship is the greatest commandment. He could have said service is the greatest commandment. Obedience is the greatest commandment. Sacrifice is the greatest commandment. But that's not what he said. 
He said, loving God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. That is the greatest thing that you can do. That is what you were created to do. And so the question that I have been pondering deeply for the past two years, and I will tell you that it has been a joyous journey. Because out of all my years of seminary, all my years of ministry, all my years of being a Christ follower, nothing has transformed my heart and my mind more than trying to understand what it means to love God. And so this morning, that is what we are going to dive into. And we're going to look at this question, what does it mean to love God? And and I believe this, that if we all took a test in here, and it's a true or false question, so you're going to have a 50% chance of getting it right to begin with. But if the true or false question was, I love God, most of us would answer that true. But the question is, is our definition of loving God the same as that of Jesus? You see, I say I love Jesus because I'm a Christian. I love Jesus because I don't hate Jesus, so I must love him. I love Jesus because this is the faith I have chosen, right? So I must love Jesus. But is that what it means to love Jesus? Just to have good intentions about Jesus? Or is it something much more deeper and much more satisfying? So when we look at this question, what does it mean to love God? How would you answer that? And of course, it's a rhetorical question, but how how would you answer it? Someone said, what, what can you tell me that shows that you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? How would you answer that? Because this is a big question, right? This isn't some little random verse tucked away in numbers somewhere. This is, this is the greatest commandment. So what does it mean to love God? Well, if you Google this question which is always a great way to find theological answers. But if you Google this question, what does it mean to love God? There's really two different camps that you see. There's one camp that says, loving God is an emotional thing. It's where my heart beats for him. It's when he's my passion. And there's another camp that says, well, loving God is obedience. It's obeying what he says. And those two camps can be on either side. And so when we look at this idea of loving God that equals obedience, many of us go to this verse in John 14, 15, which many of you may know, where Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. And so what we do is we often misinterpret that and say obeying God's commandments means loving him. But don't you know that you can obey somebody and not love them? You can obey your boss and not love your boss. If you were in the military, you can obey your drill sergeant, but you don't love your drill sergeant. You can obey an authority figure for fear of what might happen to you, but that obedience does not equal love. You may obey that person out of respect, fear, but it's not necessarily because of love. And so many of us feel like, well, I'm obeying God. I'm trying to read the Bible. I'm trying to do the things the Bible says. I'm trying not to sin. So my 
obedience shows that I love him, but our heart really might be far from him. And Jesus really shines a light on this idea when he talks to the church in Ephesus in Revelation 2. And I'd love for you to take a look at, at, this, at this church because, wow, what a church. In Revelation 2, 1 through 4, this is, this is what Jesus says to this church in Ephesus. He says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, I know your works, I know your toil, I know your patient endurance, and how you can't bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles, and they're not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently, and you're bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. Wow, what a church. They hate sin. They can pick out a false prophet really quickly. They're doing things for the Lord. The Lord says, you're doing things in my name's sake. You're doing all this stuff. You hate sin. But it doesn't end there. Because Jesus says this, I see all these things that you're doing, but it goes on to verse 4 and says, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Jesus is saying, I just don't want your deeds, and I don't want your duty, because really I don't need your effort. I'm not a God who's in need. I want your heart. I want your affection. I want your first place. You see, loving God means that he is the most important thing in my life. That means he's not second fiddle. He's not something I do when I just come to church on Sunday. But loving God means he's the most important thing to me. It means that I cherish him above all things. It means I want to be with him. And David said these beautiful words. He, said, he says, God, you are my chosen portion. It's really churchy language, but what it means is David had this table with all the different types of foods that he could choose from. And he chose this one thing because it was the most satisfying to him. And, and David says that, God, you are my chosen portion. In the same way, we have all of these things. Just, just like Ryan said, we have all these things that can be distractions. They can be shiny. All these things in front of us. And we say, Lord, you are my chosen portion. Out of all the things that I could choose in the day, and all the things that I could fill my time with, I choose you. Because I love you. I want to be with you. I delight in you. I find joy in you. I rejoice in you. I love you. You are the most treasured thing in my life. You are the most treasured thing in my day. And when I choose the different options before me, I choose you. See, love is an affection. There's nothing in this world that we say we love that isn't rooted in our heart of desiring to want to be with it. And it's just like when we were dating, maybe dating your spouse and you, you were early in those stages. For many of you, I know that may have been a while ago. For some of you, maybe that's more, more of a recent thing. But when you were dating your spouse and you wanted to be with them and you thought about them, and you made plans throughout the day, when can I see him again? And you would actually talk on the phone and enjoy it. 
And you would do silly things like, no, you hang up first. No, you hang up first. No, you hang up first. And unfortunately, like our marriages, our relationship with God becomes the same thing. It can become a contract. It becomes a duty. It doesn't become the joy of our heart to be with our king and be with our Lord, to be with the one that our heart should treasure. And so this morning, I want us to wrestle through this idea. What does it mean to really love God? How do I do that? And so here's where we're going to go. I want us to look at Psalm 63 because I, I want us to spend the most time here because we're going to look at two questions this morning. One question is like, what does it mean to love God? But secondly, how do I do that tangibly? And that's where we're going to spend the most time because I think that's important. Because if we don't talk about tangible ways to love God, then this just becomes theory, just becomes a great idea. But I want us to be able to, to really walk out this door and say, here's some tangible ways on how I can connect with God. Here's how I can love him. And I just don't want us to talk about loving God as in just the ends. But I want us to look at loving God as a means to be satisfied because we talked about that already in the things that we sang this morning. But loving God is a way to be satisfied. So how do we do this? How do we tangibly love God? Well, I want us to take a look in Psalm 63 because there's a guy in, in the Psalms, you might have heard of him, his name's David. And he's known as a guy after God's own heart. He loved the Lord. He didn't make all the right decisions, we know that, but he's a man who loved the Lord. And I want to take Psalm 63, and here's what I want us to do when we read this. I want to unpack it a little bit and look at how David says the reason, or how David loves God and why he loves God. How he loves God tangibly and why he loves God. And I want us to focus on three little words. I'm going to take three words out of Psalm 63 that I hope will help us fan into flame the love that we have for the Lord. Because I know for some of us, we think, we think, how can I love a God that's so far? I don't see him. I don't hear him. I can't tangibly touch him. How do I have affection and love something that is so distant? And there's three words I want to pull out of Psalm 63 this morning that I hope are going to be easy to remember, that will be springboards for us as we leave this place to kind of remember, how can I love God? Those three words are earnestly, satisfy, and presence. So I'm going to pull these three words out of Psalm 63 as they relate to loving God. Are you with me? Okay, I know that sounds a little complicated, but in the end, I'm going to wrap it all up and it's going to make sense. But three words we're pulling out of Psalm 63 that will help us understand how can we love God and why do we love God. So let's read Psalm 63, 1 through 5 together. And David says this, You, God, are my God, and earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you and my whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you and I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands and I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. So David, how do we love God? Well, in verse 1, he gives us a really cool idea. David says, I earnestly seek God. 
hear that word earnestly, earnestly, not flippantly, not half-baked, haphazardly, earnestly. This is a beautiful word picture of a guy who's in the desert and he is thirsty and he is hungry. And there's only one thing that will satisfy him and it's water and it's food. And David says, that is what it's like for my soul to be in this land. As I walk around, I am hungry and I'm thirsty. And there's one person who will satisfy me, and that is you, God. And so my soul goes earnestly after you because I have got to find you. And I love this promise in Deuteronomy 4, verse 29. God says this, if you seek me with your whole heart, you will find me earnestly. Earnestly seek God. Now, I hope the next question you're thinking is, how do I earnestly seek God? Well, that's a great question. Let's talk about that. How do I earnestly seek God? Well, when you look at all of the scriptures, there's a lot of different ways that people connected with God. One connected with God with a burning bush. One person connected with God or heard from God by riding on the wall. Another person heard from God by a donkey talking to them many different ways, but there are three consistent ways that we see all throughout Scripture of how people can seek God, hear from God, and connect with God. And those three, three things are read His Word, pray, and worship. Earnestly read His Word, earnestly pray, and earnestly worship. Now let me just take a couple minutes to unpack that really quick, because I, I, what I told you is nothing new. Go to church, read the Bible, pray. Okay, I got that. What do, how do, so what? Earnestly read. You see, when I earnestly read this and I open up this book, this book is unlike any other book in this world. When I read this book, something supernatural happens. I can read any other book and be entertained, but this book, something happens. The God who loves you, calls you daughter, calls you son, calls you an heir to his kingdom, calls you dearly loved one, calls you child. He speaks as we read, as I earnestly seek him. And that's not saying, well, let me read my verse of the day and go along and do my agenda of the day. It's not pulling this open and just reading it and say, I did my duty, check it off. No, but I read this as a bridge, as a means to get to him, to know him. Jesus said, this is eternal life, that you know him. Eternal life is more than a golden road and mansions and beautiful trees, but it is being with him. And as I earnestly dive into this thing, I will seek him and I will find him. That is a promise from what the Lord says. And here's the reality. Sometimes it's dry. Sometimes it's hard. If you've been a Christian long enough, you get into this thing and it's like, oh, I just don't understand it. But anything that is wonderful is hard. Digging for gold in the ground, you have to work hard. It is dirty. And sometimes when we get into the scriptures, it doesn't come right away. But like a man, like David said, I am a parched man. I'm a hungry man in this desert. I need you. I get in this and say, Lord, let me find you. And it makes an impact. The other day I was down, um, well, the other day I made a bad decision. This is my confession time. I watch the news, and I began to get worried, and fear began to come in. Do I have enough? What if so-and-so gets elected? 
what so-and-so doesn't get elected. All of these fears, all of these concerns start weighing in, and that's the desert. In the midst of that, I said, no, I will not do this. And so I went down, there's a little area down uh, in our neighborhood, there's a little dock near the, the lake, and I went down there, and I started quoting God's word, his scripture. Because you know, when Jesus fought the devil, he didn't pull down lightning bolts, and he didn't do volcano lava at him, and he didn't do meteorites. What did he do? The word of the God, the strongest, the strongest weapon there is. And so I went down to that dock, feeling those fears, feeling those worries, and I began to say, Lord, you are in control, and you are the good God who takes me by my right hand and says, do not fear, I will help you. And I began to quote this truth, and as I did that, the peace of God came over me. And as the peace of God came over me, the joy of the Lord came up. You see, I don't read the scriptures just to check it off and say, are you impressed, God? I did something good. I read the word of God so it gets inside of me, and so the Lord's presence is with me, and his truth becomes a reality in me. And so many of us stumble through our day worried and fearful because we don't abide with the Lord in his word. And what joy and what peace, what we miss because we don't earnestly seek him through, prayer, or through reading his word. Secondly, we can connect with the Lord through prayer. I earnestly seek you through prayer. Not this flippant prayer of like, God, thank you for this day. Thank you for the sun. Bless my day as I go out and help me to love people. Amen. And somehow that's me earnestly seeking the Lord. I hope this isn't feeling like shame or rebuke, but I hope you see it as a bounty that's laid before you of like there are lesser things that we are choosing throughout the day. And we have an opportunity to commune with the Lord through prayer. And what I have learned in my own life and what has transformed my prayer life is, is not going to God anymore as the magic genie who holds the treasure to the things that will make me joyful, but seeing him as the treasure. There's a big difference. You see, now it's not me going to God and saying, God, I just pray that you help me with this and help this person do that. And just, God, I pray that you do this in my life. And here's my, here's my list, God. Here's my agenda I want you to do so I feel better, so I'm more comfortable. No, the real treasure is being with him. And so something now when my little, gosh, well, my little daughter's not here, but now when my little daughter, ah, oh, Katie, don't choke up on this. But when she sings her blessing over her hot dog or her, grilled cheese, and she's saying, God, our Father, God, our Father, bless this food, bless this food. It's not the same as her singing some other little song, little happy birthday song, some little chant, but it's one more moment, a time of prayer where I can close my eyes and I can imagine my king on his throne, rolling over everything, the one who loves me and loves us, the one who is preparing a place for us right now, the one who rejoices over us with singing, the one who loves us so much that he made a way that he would even allow his son to suffer on a cross so we can be with him. One more moment of prayer for my mind to be on him. And so prayer doesn't be some, isn't something I just check off, but it's a way that I can earnestly seek him throughout the day. And not here's my wish list, God, but you, you are my desire. I want you. I want my mind to be on you.
So I earnestly pray. I earnestly read, but I also, I earnestly worship. And for many of us, that's a tough word. Because sometimes worship, we think that just means we come in here and we sing songs. But worship is something we do daily. And what an opportunity, what a privilege to be able to worship God every day. And let me give a tangible example here. Because some of this can sound like pie in the sky. But, but here's an example of, of what it looks like to be able to say, Lord, you are my chosen portion. I choose you over everything else. About, a, um, I don't know, several months ago, actually it was back in January, so it was a, a good while ago, I, I had a, a, a doctor's appointment. And so I had about an hour to kill before I was going to go to that doctor's appointment. And I had that moment that we all have throughout the day and that you are going to have today of what am I going to do with that hour? How can I spend that hour? How can I fill that time? And the thoughts came in, well, I can check Facebook, and I can check sports, what's going on. I can check uh, email. I can do these things that fill the space. But I felt something inside of me say, worship. Now, I've got to admit, I, there weren't bells and cymbals, and I didn't feel like I was tiptoeing on tulips at this moment. I was kind of reluctant. I was like, well, okay, I'll do that. I'm confessing my sin. But I did that. So in my room, I put on some worship music, and I closed my eyes. I put my mind on God. I set my mind on things above. And the worries about what's going to happen at this, at this doctor's appointment, what's the doctor going to tell me that I wasn't aware of, that now I can be fearful of, those fears started to subside as I worship and claim the truths that are often based in scripture and as I sing to the Lord my mind is on him the fears of Lord how do we pay for the finances if there is something that's dire that has to be taken care of those begin to fade and as I worship my mind is on him joy fills my heart and I know this is a Baptist church but I begin to dance in my in my room you know we talk about the joy of the Lord but we we sometimes say that joy is real deep real deep but I began to dance before the Lord David did it and I'm not saying it was pretty but it was joyful and how often do we negate opportunities every day of loving the Lord and encountering the Lord because we choose a lesser treasure so we can seek the Lord we can love the Lord by earnestly praying earnestly reading, and earnestly worshiping. And so there's a big question that I want us to look at. And this next big question is, why does David earnestly seek God? Just because he's a good guy? Just because that's his good duty? Or is there something deeper with David, why he seeks after God, why he loves God? Now, we know we love God because he first loved us. But David lets us in on something really cool in verse 5. Why does David earnestly seek God? Because in verse 5 it says, Because in you I will be satisfied like the richest of foods. Remember the picture that he's painting here is a dude that's in the desert and he's hungry and he's thirsty. And David is saying, You, Lord, are what satisfies me like the richest of foods. 
You are the thing that satisfies my soul. And here's the sad thing. For most Christians, we know Jesus as Savior, but we don't know him as Satisfier. We know Jesus will save me from my sins. I'm not going to hell. That's great. That's good news. But many of us don't know Jesus, as David is talking about, the Satisfier of my soul. That sounds like just lofty talk. Satisfier of my soul, what does that even look like? How do you satisfy my soul? All of us in this place, in this room in here, have a desire to be satisfied. It will dictate most of our decisions today. You have a, you are, you have a desire to be satisfied for lunch. And so many of you will choose Los Amigos or you'll choose some other place to satisfy your soul. We all have needs. We all want to be satisfied. And if we do not believe that God is the satisfier of our soul, you know what we'll do? We'll go somewhere else to find it. If I don't believe that God can literally satisfy my soul, satisfy my cravings, satisfy my desires, I will not go after him. I'll leave him as God, my savior. Good, save me from hell. And I'll just try to live this life and try to not do bad things. And I'll try to, to feel somewhat happy. But understanding God is my satisfier seems like a distant thing, but not for David. And I love that the image all over the Bible is of Jesus as being the bread of life and the living water. It's these images of things that satisfy the body. And Jesus said in Mark 6, 35, Jesus declared, I'm the bread of life, and whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Because when you are satisfied in the Lord, you don't run after other lesser treasures. You see, being satisfied in the Lord diminishes temptation in our life. It diminishes sin in our life. I like to use this example. If I lock the doors in here, don't worry, we're not going to do that. But if we did lock the doors, at some point, we'd all get hungry. And if I put a plate full of poisoned cookies up here, and I said, don't eat the poison cookies. Don't eat the sin. And that's what we're good at church. Don't do the sin. Don't do the sin. Don't do the sin. Don't eat the poison cookies, but leave it at that. The problem is your willpower will be strong enough, but at some point you still want to be satisfied. You are still hungry. And over time, you're going to come and you're going to eat those poison cookies. Why? Because you want to be satisfied. Every single person in here is like that. And David's saying, Jesus, or at that point he didn't know Jesus, he knew God. God is the satisfier of my soul. God is the satisfier of my soul. So that, those poison cookies are going to be a temptation unless you have a greater thing to satisfy you. And David said, the Lord, for me, is that thing. He is the richest of foods. He satisfies me like, satisfies me like richest, rich food. So if I have those cookies... There's poison cookies, and I have a better option here. You will go to the better option. And that's why I think so many Christians stumble over the same sin over and over and over because they've been told, don't sin, don't sin, don't sin, and leave it at that. But it's, no, don't sin, but go for the greater treasure. Find your delight in the Lord. What does it mean to delight in the Lord? What does it mean to rejoice in him? Not in the gifts that he gives, but in him. In him. In him. 
Well, let me go to my last word here, because we said we were going to talk about three different words. We're going to we're going to talk about we're going to talk about the presence next. Earnestly, I seek God. S, we're going to set we're going to be satisfied in God, and finally, this last word, the presence of God. The presence of the of God. You see, in verse two, we see that David encountered God's presence. Now, that might be kind of a weird term because many of us say, well, isn't God's presence everywhere? He's omnipresent. So, you know, we we know that I I can go nowhere where God is not. But in Scripture, this word in the presence or seeking the presence is a different term. It's a term that means seeking his face. It means this idea of closeness, his intimacy. It's this idea of I spend time with him and then I encounter him in his presence. And David and Paul both encounter the presence of the Lord in very similar ways. Both of them, in Psalm 1611, David says, you will fill me with the joy in your presence. In Acts 228, you will fill me with joy in your presence. That's what Paul says. Both of them had encounters with the Lord where they experienced the joy of the Lord in his presence. And Jesus calls this concept of being in his presence abiding. In John 15, 5, let me read this quickly. He said, Jesus says, if you abide in me and I abide in you, you will bear much fruit. Everyone's heard that. Abide in me and I will abide in you and you will bear much fruit. Now, please get this. I know it's getting late, but please get this. Spending time with Jesus as we pray, as we read, as we worship, that is how we abide with him. And Jesus is saying, as you do that, as you encounter me in those moments, you will bear fruit. Well, what fruit is that? It's not just works. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace. And here's the beautiful thing about this. Most of us today are going to seek those three things in some other way other than God. We're going to try to find love by how many likes I can get on Facebook. I'm going to find a joy by what football game can I watch? What activity can I do? I'm going to try to find peace by where can I go and just get away from everything. And we're going to try to find the fruit of the Spirit in some other way with the Lord. But Jesus says, you want those things? I am those things. And if you love me, if you abide with me, you will experience those things. Now I'm going to wrap it up with this. Because I love this example of someone in the scriptures that experienced the presence of the Lord. Because I think this dude, his name is Asaph. He's in Psalm 73. I think he, I mean, you could just pull him out of the Bible and drop him right here in 2020. But in Psalm 73, I'm going to paraphrase it because of time. But, but this guy, Asaph, he was a God-loving man. And Asaph was looking around his culture at the time, and he saw that there were unrighteous and there were righteous. And the unrighteous were wealthy, and they were healthy. They were mocking God, and they seemed to have no problems. And Asaph was looking at that. And over here are the righteous, and Asaph says, Well, God, these over here are sick, poor, and full of problems, and they're following you. And Asaph steps back and just can't understand. He says, I'm confused, God. Surely I have followed you in vain. I do not understand this. And many Christ followers find themselves in that position. But I love that that story does not end there. 
Because it says later on in the chapter, in chapter 73, it says that Asaph went into the sanctuary. The sanctuary wasn't just a building, it was a presence. That's where the Lord was. And it says, as Asaph went into the presence, this is what he says. He says, as I went into the presence, then I understood. It all made sense. And to me, that is the beauty of the presence of the Lord. Is it silenced the fears? the worries, the confusion, the uncertainty of what's going on. And we see in the scriptures when people encounter the presence of the Lord, we see things like joy, awe, repentance, hope, love. We see all of these things happen as people encounter the presence of the Lord. And you cannot encounter, well, I don't want to put absolutes on that. You will encounter the presence of the Lord a lot more as you abide in him. And that is the joyful relationship that we have with Jesus. Because here's the sad thing. All right, you said I can go for a little bit, right? All right, I know I keep saying I'm going to land this plane, but I'm telling you, sometimes I just feel like i got to share something. But there, studies show that most Christians, when asked this question about their relationship with God, because remember, when it comes to Christianity, we say that our, that our faith is about a what with Jesus, about a relationship and for most Christians surveyed, they say that's not the reality of what they're experiencing. And to be honest with you, I think one reason for that is because we don't love the Lord. We do not love him. If we did, we would earnestly seek him. Not because it's our duty, but what a joy and what a privilege to be with him. What a joy to be filled with his spirit. What a joy to have the fruit of the spirit in us come out of us. What a joy it is to be fearful of what's going on because you got some bad news, but you go away into your prayer closet and say, Lord, I just want you to fix things, but I'm going to read your word and I'm going to trust you. How many awesome opportunities of experiencing God do we miss every day just because we choose a lesser treasure? So when we go back to this verse, the very beginning, Jesus said, the greatest commandment is this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Are you loving God? And please don't hear that as condemnation or shame. Please hear that as the great invitation that Jesus offers you to live life to the full, not when you get to heaven, but now. We looked at two different groups today in the scriptures. We looked at a church in Ephesus that was doing all the right things. They hated sin. They went to church. They could tell who false apostles are. They could probably tell false politicians. They worked hard in the name of the Lord. But they did not love God. And what a sad commentary. Because they miss the joy of the Lord. They miss the person of the Lord. They miss the presence of the Lord. And then we looked at another guy, David, who was a man after God's own heart, that went hard after God because he knew that only God would satisfy him, abiding with him, spending time with him in prayer, worship, and reading the scriptures, not as a duty, but as a means for me to get to God. Who are you going to be? Now, here's my last point, I promise. I won't go back up on this step until I pray, I promise. But there's a lot of us in here that say, I have done that. 
I've read my Bible, I've prayed, and I've worshipped. And I haven't encountered anything like the presence of the Lord. I haven't had those moments. Let me encourage you to earnestly keep going. It's similar to the person who on January 1st says, man, I want to get healthy again. I want to work out. I want to get back in the gym. And so they get in the gym, they work out, they eat one healthy meal, and that night they get back on the scale and it hasn't changed, and they say, well, that didn't work. But when you earnestly go to the gym, when you earnestly eat healthy, there is a change. And there will be a change in us when we earnestly seek him. But you will not earnestly seek him unless you believe that he will satisfy your soul. And you are made to only be satisfied by one thing, and that is Jesus. And if you go after it anywhere else, it won't happen. I'm talking to Christians in here, too, because we're saved, but we're not satisfied. Let the Lord satisfy you. So before you walk out this door, because I know what it's like to be a Christian in church, this sounds good and some of it you believe, but when you walk out that door, it diminishes. You go to lunch, it's a little bit more. You get home, you've totally forgotten everything. You've got to determine in your heart whom you will serve. And I know that you're a Christ follower and you're, you're a person who is saved. I mean, I, I, I say that. I don't know if everyone is saved in here. If you're not, please cry out to Jesus and say, Jesus, save me. I need you. I want you to satisfy my soul and save my soul. But for the Christ follower in here who's just, you're going to church. You read your Bible time to time. But there's no joy in the Lord. That's not how it's meant to be. You were meant to be satisfied in him. Choose that. I got to choose it every day, every day. It is a new struggle, by the way. It's a new struggle. I've had some crazy stuff, and I didn't share all the crazy stories that I've had up here lately. But I, I tell you, every day is a battle. You wake up and you battle you battle to love the Lord. Say, Lord, my flesh doesn't want you right now, but I know my soul does, and you're the only one that satisfies me. And even though my flesh does, I don't want to find you in the scriptures. I battle. Lord, right now, I don't want to worship you. I'd rather listen to talk radio. I'd rather read more about my sports team. I'd rather read more about politics. I don't want to do that, Lord, but I battle and I choose you. And I find that my soul is satisfied. May you find that. May we all find that today even. All right, let's pray together. Lord, thank you that you are the one not only that saves our soul but satisfies it. And God, it's my fear that this just becomes pie-in-the-sky talk and it sometimes doesn't resonate. But Lord, that's why we have to rely on your Holy Spirit to speak to us and help us to understand how we can abide in you, how we can love you, how we can seek you, and how we can be satisfied in you. May that be real in us, Lord. And for the person in here, God, that wasn't expecting to come here this morning, that, Lord, there's something in their heart where you're moving in them and saying, you need me. If you find yourself in that place, say, Lord, save me and satisfy me. I will follow you.
In Christ's name, amen. As we, as we close in worship today, maybe it's, it's time for you to make a decision, as KT is encouraged, that maybe I don't know the Lord. And so it's a day that you can say, I want to know the Lord. For many of us, maybe that's not the case. And maybe it's time for us to recommit ourselves to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. And so would you, maybe today, recommit your life to that desire, to that truth that I'm going to seek God with all that I am so that I might be satisfied in Him. I wrote down this phrase in my notes. It was so challenging for me. He said, when you are satisfied in God, I don't want to misquote it. When you're satisfied in the Lord, we won't choose a lesser treasure. And I thought to myself, how many times do I choose a lesser treasure in the day? Thank you for that. Um, would you just join me today to say, oh God, I want you to be my treasure, my satisfier, and do all those things. Uh, when I told Tom about what KT would be preaching, he chose a song, not knowing exactly where KT would end. Uh, but the Lord has done something powerful here today. We're going to sing this song called As the Deer. As the deer pants for water, so my soul longs for you. Would you stand with us? Would you sing? And if the Lord's asking you to recommit or to trust Christ for salvation, would you do that now? But let's worship the Lord.